Philippians 1 from the end of 18 onwards. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and the joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. This is the word of the Lord. Well, hello, Reality Church London. It is such a joy and privilege to be with you today. As Bijan said earlier, I the last time I was here was when about 50 people from our church in Los Angeles came out to pray for you all. And we walked the streets of London for four or five days and prayed for this church and for the churches in this city, asking the Lord that the gospel would flourish here. And I can say today, it is such a joy to be able to look out and see the way that God has answered prayers in such incredible ways. So I hope that you are encouraged. I'm incredibly encouraged by what the Lord has done and is doing here in and through this church. And I also want to say to you on behalf of Reality LA and really our family of Reality Churches, we love you so much. Uh, We are so grateful for you and we are praying for you. I know that there's a lot of distance in between here in Los Angeles and some of the other churches. Um, So I'm really glad to be able to be here in person and just communicate our affection for you and how much we love you and are grateful for you and are praying for you. And I want to take this opportunity to honor Bijan and Michelle and just say how grateful I am for them. Yes. They have loved this church faithfully and sacrificially and modeled Christ-likeness to you all in such a beautiful way. And that comes at a cost, and yet they do it joyfully and willingly uh, for the Lord and for the good of the kingdom of God advancing in this city. And I, I count Bijan as a dear friend, and I know him enough to be able to say he is a man of godly character 
and a man who loves and prays for you all. Um, so it, it's a real honor for me to be able to serve you today through the preaching of the word. And as Bijan said last week, you started this series in Philippians talking about serious joy. And today, as we look at Philippians 1, 18 through 30, I want us to talk about spiritual resilience. And I want to begin by sharing the results of a recent study of young adults with a Christian background. There's a whole study on young adults with a Christian background and where they landed as they've grown up. And here's what the study revealed. 22% became what they called prodigals. They attended church at some point, but then no longer identify as Christians. 30% they called nomads. That means that they identify as Christians, but they're not connected to any church. 38% were what they called habitual churchgoers. They describe themselves as Christians and do attend church from time to time, but they don't have the core beliefs or behaviors associated with being a follower of Jesus. And then 10% they described as resilient disciples. These are Christians who not only go to church on Sundays, but are connected to the church in other ways as well. They believe in the authority of scripture. They're committed to Jesus personally affirm his death and resurrection and desire to bring transformation outside of their church because of their faith. Now, what I want you to catch from all of this is that only 10% of young Christians are resilient disciples. 10%. And what does it mean to be resilient. Well, resilience is the ability to bounce back, to withstand difficult times, to get back up when you've been knocked down, to endure no matter what comes your way. And here's the thing. The call to be resilient is for all Christians, not 10%. And I think we need this more than ever. I want to share two reasons why I think you need spiritual resilience in your life today. The first is this. Many of you have gone through an immense amount of suffering in the last few years. The pandemic has been hard on everyone. We're still feeling the residual effects of that. Many of you are suffering now. You need spiritual resilience. The second reason I think you especially need spiritual resilience is you live in a time and in a particular city where it is not easy to be a Christian. You will experience trouble, mockery, maybe even persecution. And when it comes, you need spiritual resilience. Well, that's exactly what we learn about in Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 30. This is a glimpse of the kind of spiritual resilience that we need and that we can have in Christ. And so I want to walk through this passage and highlight four ways that God gives us spiritual resilience. And the first is this, defiant joy. I mean, look at verse 18 with me. And remember, Paul has been in prison. He's awaiting execution. And how does he respond? Look at verse 18. Yes, and I will rejoice. Can you hear the resilience? I will rejoice. He stares death in the face and doesn't flinch. How? Because he has a joy that's not determined by his circumstances. Oftentimes for us, our joy is determined by our circumstances. If I just had this job, 
then I would have joy. If I just had this house, if I could just have this home, if I just had that car. But Paul says, I have a joy that's not based on my circumstances because it's based on my Savior who is unchanging. He goes on in verse 9, sorry, verse 19. Read it with me. He says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Can you hear this resilience? This will turn out for my deliverance. He says in verse 20, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's saying, he's in prison, he's saying, I know that God is going to deliver me. But the term that he uses here, deliverance, it's often used of ultimate deliverance, of salvation. And so he's not merely talking about getting out of prison here. We know that because he says, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by death or by life. So it's as if he's saying, whether I get delivered out of prison or get delivered into eternal life, I'm going to get delivered. <laughs> it reminds me of something I heard recently. It was a pastor who had lost his mother, and he preached at his mother's funeral. And he talked about how he was wrestling with God about God not answering his prayers and healing his mother. And he said as he was wrestling with God over this, he felt like God said to him, just because I didn't answer your, your prayer in your way doesn't mean I didn't answer your prayer any way. He said he felt like God said to him, because of the victory that I have given you, there was always only two answers to your prayers. Either she was going to be healed or she was going to be healed. Either she was going to live or she was going to live. Either she was going to be with family or she was going to be with family. Either she was going to be well taken care of or she was going to be well taken care of. See, victory belongs to the Lord in life and in death. And so church, regardless of your circumstance, you can choose joy, joy in Christ. And that joy will create a spiritual resilience in you so that you can be faithful to the end. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Now, the second way that God makes us resilient disciples is that he gives us an undying purpose. Undying purpose. Look at verse 21. Paul says, For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, try and picture this. Paul's awaiting death in prison. And he's asking this hypothetical question. Would I rather die and go to be with the Lord or stay and continue this mission that he's called me to? And he's saying, part of me just wants to go to be with the Lord. No more suffering, no more pain, the full presence of God. But he recognizes there's still work to be done. God has not called me home yet. And so he says, to live is Christ. What a beautiful summary of the Christian life. If I've got Jesus, I've got everything I need. Jesus is all. Jesus is enough. He gave all for me. I give all to him. Jesus is my life. To live is Christ. But the point that he's making here is that either way, in life or death, he has a clear and compelling purpose that can't be taken from him. 
He's saying, I have a purpose that's so real, that's so strong, that not even death can take it. It reminds me of a story about St. Basil, a fourth century pastor theologian. And Basil was speaking up against false teaching. And there was an Arian emperor who told him that he had to stop teaching about Jesus the way that he was. He said, you must be silent, no more of this. And the emperor actually threatened Basil with confiscating his goods, sending him into exile, torturing him, even threatening him with death. And listen to Basil's response. He said, all that I have that you can confiscate are these rags and a few books. Nor can you exile me, for wherever you send me, I shall be God's guest. As to tortures, you should know that my body is already dead in Christ. And death would be a great boon to me, leading me sooner to God. Isn't that beautiful? He's saying, you can't take what I've got. And if you've got God, then you've got all you need. I mean, what can you do with a Christian like this? Who has a mentality that says, if you kill me, I get to go be with Jesus. If you let me live, I'm going to preach the gospel to more people. If you strip me naked, I'm clothed in Christ. If you take my money, I'm rich in Christ. If you take my life, Jesus gives me eternal life. It's like trying to blow out a fire, but it's only stoking the flames. To live is Christ, and to die is gain. But Paul does share with us where he lands on this question that he's wrestling with. In verse 25, he says, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Now, he wants to stay and live. Why? In short, because he knows that there's still work to be done. I remember when I was a young believer and I was struggling and I wondered, I was hurting, and I wondered, why, God, if you save us, if you fully redeem us, then why don't you just take us to be with you? If we're saved by your grace and you've accomplished all that's necessary, then why do we have to stay in all this pain and suffering and hardship? I mean, life is hard. Why can't we just go and experience the fullness of God's presence right now? And the answer to that is, is that there's work to be done. God not only calls us to himself, he calls us into his mission. God is saving sinners and renewing his creation. And we get to participate in his work by grace. And so listen, brother and sister, one day we will rejoice in the new creation. It's going to be beautiful. Evil will be eradicated. There will be no more injustice, no more racism, no more abuse, no more cancer, no more breathing tubes, no more mental illness, no more chronic pain. We will experience the fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord, resurrection bodies, delighting in his creation, eating the best of food and the best of drinks. It will be glorious, but we're not there yet. And today, there's still work to do. And God is still calling us into his mission. And so he wants us to know, he wants you to know today that you have an undying purpose. And that undying purpose will make you a resilient disciple. Because no matter what comes your way, whether death or life, you know what you're living for. 
Isn't that amazing? I mean, most people walking around the city don't really know what they're living for. And they move from one thing to the next. And they think this is their purpose. And then something comes along and it destroys it. And they're trying to figure it out. We know by God's grace, you were made to know God and love God and live for his purposes. There's so much joy and meaning in that. Let's keep going. Number three, in terms of how God gives us spiritual resilience. He gives us spiritual resilience through gospel motivation. In verse 27, he talks about their manner of life. And Paul wants, and God wants, them and us to live lives of holiness, to be set apart, to be different, to look like Christ. But here's the question. How does God motivate us to live a holy life? Well, here's how a lot of Christians would answer this question. God motivates us to live a holy life through guilt and shame and fear. A lot of Christians, this has been their experience, that they've been a part of churches or whatever they know of religion or of God. They think the way God wants to motivate us is through guilt and shame and fear. And you better do this. And if you don't, then you're a bad Christian and God will be upset with you. And then he's going to shame you and he's going to make you feel so bad about it, so guilty about it. He's going to rub your nose in it that finally you'll try harder and you'll get it right next time. And if you don't, God will be upset with you. Now, here's the thing. Guilt and shame are powerful motivators. Powerful. But they're not healthy motivators. And they're not God's motivators. I want you to hear today, God doesn't want to motivate you with guilt and shame. God isn't trying to guilt you into being a better person. He's not trying to shame you into holiness. What we learn in this passage and what you read throughout the story of Scripture is that God wants to motivate you with gratitude, with joy, and with love, all rooted in the gospel. That's how God wants to motivate you. And so what is the gospel? The gospel is not good advice about what you should do for God. The gospel is good news about what God has done for us in sending his son. And think about how amazing this is. I mean, we get used to this. We start thinking, oh yeah, the gospel, of course, God's forgiving. He's supposed to be like, I'm a, I'm a good sinner. He's a good forgiver. Like it's a match made in heaven, right? Like we just start thinking it's God's job to forgive us. But let's remember, we rejected God in our sin. We shook our fists at him. We ran away from him. We forget him. We think that we're smarter than him. And how does God respond to our rebellion and our rejection compassion and with mercy. He sends his only beloved son who lives a perfect life and then he offers up his life on the cross in our place for our sins so that we could be completely forgiven, washed clean of our shame and reconciled to God. And then Jesus rose from the grave, conquering sin, Satan, and death, that we might know him and experience abundant life today. This is the good news of God's grace in Christ. And this gospel applies not only to conversion, but to all of life. I mean, look at verse 27 with me again. He says, only let your manner of life 
be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So the gospel is not just for non-Christians. Yes, it's, we want people who've never heard of Jesus to hear the good news that Christ died for their sins and rose from the grave. But the gospel is for Christians as well. The gospel is for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. We don't grow by moving on from the gospel, but by going deeper into the riches of the gospel. You don't grow as a Christian by just trying harder, but by learning how to apply the gospel to every aspect of your life, to your relationships, to your emotions, to your sexuality, to your finances, to your work, to justice, to all that we do. We are shaped by the gospel and motivated by the gospel. And this doesn't mean that we don't have to try hard. No, he talks about striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. What this teaches us is that we don't work for grace, we work from grace. And we strive, and we've got great motivation. But I want you to recognize that, that how, how powerful the motivation of the gospel is. It's, I told you that guilt and shame are powerful motivators. The gospel is greater. Because when I recognized that I rebelled against God and he responded with grace and saved me, then I'm filled with gratitude. He's done that for me? How could I not live for him? How could I not give my life to him when he's been so gracious to me? He's drawing me into his mission of renewal. This is amazing. I get to be a part of this. God, I want to live for your ways. I want to have your character. I want to live for your purpose. The gospel motivates us into a life of holiness. I'll just share one example with you about how this has played out in my life. I think of years ago, a really pivotal moment where I was having a conversation with my wife. And I said, I think I have a comparison problem. And like the loving wife that she is, she asked me questions just to draw out what was going on. And she said, well, what do, you, what do you mean you have a comparison problem? I said, well, I, I struggle with comparing myself to people and I see what they're doing and I beat myself up. And so she just keeps asking questions. And maybe I'm the only one who's ever struggled with comparison. I'm sure I am. But she keeps asking questions and she says, well, what is it that, um, that other people get or getting or have that you want that you look? And I'm like, I don't know. She's like, well, think about it. Like when you compare yourself to somebody else, and start feeling shame, what are they getting that you want? And I thought about it, and I said, well, I guess, I guess I see people getting approval. I see them getting approval in all of these different ways, and, and I long for that. And she says, you don't have a comparison problem. You have a gospel problem. God approves of you in Christ. And yet, while you say you believe that, you're going out acting like you need to earn everyone's approval. And I'll never forget that because there I was. And, and here I am today. So often I, I, I fall back into this of running around trying to earn everyone's approval when the king of the universe already approves of me in Christ. So I want you to hear that today. You don't need to earn everyone's approval. You don't need to 
wear yourself thin trying to earn acceptance from everyone in this world. God accepts you in Christ. It's a gift of his grace. God approves of you in Christ because of what he's done in his son Jesus and through faith, he looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. And not only does he approve of you and accept you, he rejoices over you. He delights over you. He sings over you. That's all the motivation to go and live a life for the glory of God. And I do want you to recognize that when we talk about spiritual resilience, I want you to recognize that the spiritual part of that, because you could just watch a bunch of TED Talks about resilience in general. You could learn from lots of people around the city of ways that you can dig deeper in yourself and find resources to keep going. But we're talking about resilience that comes from the Spirit of God dwelling in you, applying the finished work of Christ to your hearts and then to every aspect of your lives. Think about what you heard last week out of Philippians 1.6 where Paul says, I am sure of this, this confidence, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's saying, I am 100% confident that God finishes what he starts. And he is doing a work in you and he's going to finish that work. And so what that means is that our resilience is grounded in God's grace. I'm not here giving you a pep talk, telling you, you can do it. Look within, dig deeper. You're better than you realize. No, I'm saying let's actually acknowledge our weakness and embrace our weakness as a way of experiencing God's strength and knowing that through his power, we can be a resilient people. So here's what we've seen so far. We can, we can have a spiritual resilience cultivated through defiant joy, undying purpose, gospel motivation, and then fourth, faithful suffering. I think there's a great lie that many of, our te- many of us are tempted to believe that if we follow Jesus, everything will go well for us. And we won't struggle and we won't suffer. And then when that doesn't happen, when things get hard in life, then we often think one of two things. Either, okay, I failed, I'm not a good Christian and so God's punishing me, or God's not real. I thought that if I went to church and read my Bible and gave a little bit of money here or there that God would give me what I want and things would go well and it hasn't worked out. But Paul is is subverting that very assumption that if I follow Jesus, everything will go well. No, Paul reminds us elsewhere that suffering is a part of the Christian life. And if you're a Christian and things are getting difficult, God's not punishing you. If you've trusted in Christ, Jesus bore your punishment on the cross. And so God's not punishing you if, you, if things are getting hard. He's shepherding you. He's teaching you. He's maturing you even through that hardship. See, the question in this life is not whether you will suffer, but how you will suffer. And as Christians, we have to learn to suffer well and faithfully. I mean, Paul suffered immensely. In 2 Corinthians, he rattles off a resume of suffering. I got whipped. I got beaten with rods. I got stoned. I got attacked, I got mobbed, I got chased. Paul suffered immensely. And then here, he's in prison. He's 
gone through so much in his life, and yet, throughout his life, this suffering has produced resilience. And so listen, I know that many of you walked into this room today hurting, carrying pain. For some of you, you've talked about others with it and they know what you're going through. For some of you, part of that pain is the isolation of it, that you feel alone in that. Pain is real. But what I want you to hear today is that pain that you're experiencing in your life, it will either make you resentful or resilient. It all depends on how you deal with that pain. If you don't really deal with the pain and you just let it fester, then it will turn into bitterness and you will be a resentful person. And your resentment will not just be towards those people who hurt you, but everyone in your life. But if you take that pain to the Lord and you're honest with him and, and you let God meet you in the space of that pain and suffering, God can bring healing and redemption. With God, there is purpose in the pain. God wants to use the suffering in your life to make you mature, to make you humble, to make you empathetic. God wants to use the suffering in your life to make you resilient. We learn this throughout Scripture. In James 1, it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness steadfastness. That's resilience language. Romans 5, 3, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And Paul not only talks about suffering, he also talks about conflict. Same thing here. We often assume if, if, if there's conflict in my life, then God must not be at work. He's abandoned me. He's taking a nap. He's, he's helping people somewhere else, but God's gone because there's conflict. No, We should expect resistance in following Jesus. We should expect trials. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And when they do come, we can have a spiritual resilience. This is the way that God works. This is who God is. He's the God who can take our mess and turn it into a masterpiece. And he does that not only in the lives of us as individuals, but in whole communities. I love this, the, the story of the book of Acts. You have this, you know, in Acts chapter 1 uh, and chapter 2, then Jesus pours out the Spirit on the church. You know, 3,000 people get saved. It's epic. Like, it's this time where everyone's, like, celebrating what God's doing. It's so great. The church is growing. They're, they're selling their possessions and taking care of one another. You learn about it as, as the book of Acts keeps going. But then you get to Acts 7 and they kill one of the Christian leaders, Stephen. And then in Acts 8, there's this figure named Saul who comes and he's ravaging the church. And they start killing Christians. And all this persecution takes place. And everyone scatters. Now, if we were following the story today, we might think, man, I guess it didn't work out. I guess they misheard God. Maybe God wasn't really at work. Maybe God didn't care about Jerusalem. Maybe maybe God's not real. But you know what happens when you keep reading in Acts 8? Because of the persecution, they scatter. But when they scatter, they keep preaching the word. And when they scatter, all these other people get saved. And all these other communities start popping up. And you have churches developing here and there. 
and they persecute them and it happens more. And God uses this persecution to create mission and creates life. And that's actually what happens throughout the early church. It goes from this small band of believers who are not impressive and they grow and they grow and they grow in the Roman Empire to where they become such a force in the Roman Empire that they start persecuting them. Saying, if you don't say Caesar is Lord rather than Jesus is Lord, we're going to kill you. And they start killing Christians. They start throwing them into arenas with bears and lions and celebrating them, killing Christians. And you know what happens? The Christian church is growing so rapidly that they literally can't kill them fast enough. Uh, some look back and summarize it saying, the blood of the martyrs was the seed of the church. It was almost like the more they persecuted them, the more it forced Christians to be that courageous and that genuine with their faith. And other people are looking at that saying, I want something that's worth dying for. And they start doing it. And the church grows amidst all of this persecution. This is what God does. He works in and through our suffering. He makes us a resilient people by his grace. Now I want us to close by simply fixing our eyes on Jesus. We've been talking about our resilience and how God makes us resilient. But reflect with me for a moment on the resilience of Jesus. He was sent by the Father with a mission. Then he was rejected by his hometown, but he stayed the course. He was attacked by the Pharisees. He stayed the course. He was questioned by the Sadducees. He stayed the course. He was abandoned by his disciples. He stayed the course. He was crucified by the Romans. He stayed the course. And check this out. If death can't stop Jesus, nothing can. On that Easter Sunday, he got up. He rose from the grave, conquering death, so that we can have life today and for all of eternity. And so resurrection is the ultimate resilience. Something that not even death can stop. And so as we gaze on the resilience of Christ, let's remember that we too can say what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 2, I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's why we can have spiritual resilience. Pray with me. God, we thank you for the good news of what you've done for us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And God, we thank you that it not only saves us, but your grace sustains us and grows us and will one day perfect us for your glory. And so God, would you make us a resilient people? I pray for Reality Church London that this would be a church that clings to the grace of Christ no matter how intense the storm gets, no matter what comes, and that every obstacle that arises, that they would see it as an opportunity for your grace to grow your people. And so God, help us to be grounded in the gospel. Help us to grow amidst even our suffering. Help us, Lord, to have a defiant joy and to know that we have a purpose that lasts through life and death. We pray this in Jesus' name.